Hi, Emmanuel. It's really great to have you on. Um, you. you know, to give the audience a little bit of back backstory, I actually heard you speak on an AI panel at Brain Bar in Budapest, and uh, you were one of those people who was not so gung ho all in on AI, uh, completely making every single thing better in the world. Um, so you had you were a little bit more of an AI skeptic. Yeah. Um, I am hearing myself a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I'm a little bit. Of, so so you were basically a little bit of an AI skeptic. You 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 have some questions about AI, some pauses, some concerns. Maybe there are areas where you think that we perhaps shouldn't pursue AI. Um, can you give me a little bit of background on yourself and? what yes, you do does, but first tell me what you thought of the debate well i think both sides make good point i'm probably lean a little bit more towards your side of things where i think that you know there are some areas that i would be very concerned about ai being implemented and we're rushing into things without having built safeguards and i think with a lot of technology we have a tendency to sort of build something and then and then think about okay now how how do we deal with the repercussions uh so everyone's so excited about ai i mean i'm excited about ai i'm i'm, I'm both an optimist and a realist i think so for me i think that um I, I liked hearing kind of something that was more akin to a debate as opposed to just uh, the gospel, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Yeah. Did you enjoy Hungary as well? Was that your yeah, first time here? It was, it was, no, I, I've been there before, which was good. I didn't have the pressure of sightseeing, you know, because I've already seen it. Uh, so it was good. It was good. And I thought, I mean, I got to speak with a lot of really, really interesting people from all sorts of background so it's really really exciting and the debate was against a venture capitalist who is actually really famous in hungary because he's the he's in shark tank you know they're, they're local shark tank he's a celebrity so it was quite yeah, i didn't even know there was a local shark tank and then i was reading his bio I'm like oh i guess there's a shark tank yeah yeah so that's that's really interesting i guess it's everywhere um but yeah i think i think you know you could see there were a lot of ai, AI uh, related panels there. And there was a lot of, um, you know, it was fully packed. Um, you know, people are just really interested in it because I think it so directly affects their life, right? It's not such an abstract thing. It is actually something that they're going to see the consequences of, well, they already are, right? Yeah. And there's a new thing in this, let's say, the latest wave of AI enthusiasm, because there have been a few in history since the 60s. Right. But look, if we, if we go back to 2010, for example, when there was a lot of hype around AI, it was it was the first time in history when it was implemented in commercial applications. Right. So we you know, you go to Netflix and you see that it recommends shows based on what you've watched. So it learns from your behavior. That's AI, right? And commercial applications happened for the first time in the 2010s, I would say, at least in, in a widespread way. So that was what dominated that wave of hype. But the latest hype is that everyone is using AI. So that's the novelty now. 
it's not just business. It's not just recommendations on e-commerce websites or translations. It's everyone just going to chat GPT, ask questions um, to the chatbot. And I think that's what has changed a lot this time. Yeah, and, and I noticed uh, a similar story in a way with virtual reality technology. Uh, you would see, you know, every, every decade or so, or perhaps even less, you would have all the headlines in newspapers. It's the new thing. It's it's uh, it's so it's going to be revolutionary. Now it's here, and then ten years later, no, now it's here, and so and on. It never and is right. Never really. And never really, even though the technology has really advanced a lot, it never got to the point of um, the same sort of mass consumer um, implementation that they were promising. It stayed within the gaming realm predominantly and another realm that I won't mention. <laughs> um, we were talking about, you know, a little bit about how... Um, sometimes, you know, there is this kind of idea that we need things. And maybe we don't. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the market usually gives this verdict, right? If you know people sometimes just don't like a product or they don't react to a product product very well. My impression with AI is that a lot of not just AI, you know, the metaverse, <laughs> blockchain. A lot of people try to push it everywhere without thinking of the client, the customer, which is the most important thing, right? What, what do people actually want? And I think because I've seen lots of failed AI projects, and I think they always start the same way by someone putting the cart before the horse. They think AI is everywhere. We need to use AI for something. What, what do we do with it? Right. There was this entrepreneur a few months ago who's running a business that builds accounting software, and he was looking for investment. Right. So he told me, because he wanted to hire me as a consultant. And he was saying, I want you to tell me what I can do with ChatGPT because I can't tell investors that I'm not using ChatGPT for something, right? <laughs> and it was accounting software, you know, so it's very, you know, but, but I told him this is kind of entrepreneurship upside down. You need to find a problem that exists and then pick the best solution for it, not the other way around, right? So it feels like, they have a hammer. A lot of people have this new hammer, which is, you know, generative AI, and they're find, trying to find nails, you know, for the hammer. And I think that that usually doesn't end very well. No, it it usually doesn't. And there is this pressure, you know, you have to use AI for everything. The, you know, that's the latest thing. And and if you're not using AI, if you're not investing in AI, you're behind. Um, yeah. And so it's propelling, and maybe it's propelling a lot of very bad ideas too. But what's you know, your, what's your, yeah. um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because you've worked in it uh, a fair bit and, and have, uh, you know, more of a, from what I understand, a software engineering kind of background. And also you wrote a book. So I'd love to hear about all of that. Yeah, of course. Look, I'm a software engineer in the first place. Uh, that was quite some time ago. And at one point, I did an internship at a research lab in France. And the, during the internship, they told me if I wanted to do a PhD. They basically told me, do you want to apply to this grant for a PhD? And I was like, okay. I didn't even know if I wanted to do a PhD, but I applied and I got it. 
and it was mm -hmm. in the topic of AI for satellite image analysis. So we were trying to find objects, even outline objects by, by using AI, right? When I say AI, I mean machine learning, which is what most people mean nowadays when they say AI. So computer computers learning from data, right? And um, I did that for a few years during the PhD, but I kind of wanted to, to do something a bit more commercial. I didn't want to stay in the, in the research world. And one of the reasons actually was because of all the exaggeration I saw around the results of all these researchers. I had the feeling that my job and a lot of people's jobs, it was to overblow the power of machine learning, to pretend that it worked better than it did. You know, mm. I felt like, a, you know, I was selling snake oil a little bit. So I thought, ah, this is now what I signed up for. It's not that there's anything wrong with selling stuff, but it, it, I thought the role of a researcher was a little bit different from that. So I was a bit disappointed. So I thought, I'll just go to the, you know, if I'm going to do this, I may as well get paid for it. <laughs> so I'll just go and work as a data scientist, which is the, if you want the application of AI to business problems. And I worked for different companies, but the, my biggest project at that point, when I moved to London, was with Expedia. And I was in charge of building the algorithms that Expedia uses to choose how much to charge for hotel rooms when these rooms are sold to other travel agents around the world. And it's used by millions of people every day. Did we all get different hotel rates? Um, it's actually, yeah, yeah. No, no, you don't. <laughs> the, 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 we were reselling the rooms to travel agents, so to partners. When you go to, okay. let's say, Ryanair or British Airways or American Airlines, and they offer to attach a hotel room, especially for packages, there's, you know, Expedia can choose to offer maybe special discounts to certain partners. So it's more in that, in that you know, realm. It's not like we're, you know, manipulating people, uh, at least not on an individual level. Fair <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing is that we had a lot of past data and these algorithms needed to learn from that data, right? To see, okay, how much do we want to charge? And there was also the, the side of, you know, business development, we don't always want to make the most money. Sometimes we want to develop a certain market. So we want to charge maybe less because we want people to buy in a specific location. So there was, you know, a whole lot of work to do. And mm -hmm. it was quite fascinating to, you know, turn on the switch and see that millions of people are, are actually connecting to that system every day. Um, so it was quite fascinating. And since then, I, I decided to kind of start working on, on my own as a, as a consultant. And I landed on lots of failed AI projects, projects that fail dramatically. Sometimes I joined the projects after they had failed and they were still hiring a lot of people. And of course, we on. never hear about them. Never. They're all swept under the rug. And obviously, when you're applying for a job like that, they're, they're now telling you, look, this is not working. We just want to keep, you know, keep looking great. So you go into the team and you're so excited to work on this new application. And then you realize that everyone's demotivated and no one's really working that hard because the project already kind of failed, you know. And I started to see this pattern of, again, card before the horse. You know, let's just try to use AI and let's hire 60 people 
for the project. Um, then building maybe a prototype really quickly without realizing that it's not working that well. Mm -hmm. uh, with machine learning, the computer is trying to find patterns in data. So sometimes it finds patterns that don't really exist. Or maybe you, you, you showed to the machine data that it shouldn't see and it found patterns, but then, okay, in real life, later on, when you use the system, it can't really see that data. So a lot of that, I saw a lot of that. And then when people notice that this isn't working, okay, what do we do? We start to lie about it. We've just hired 20 people, 60 people. We can't really tell the business that this isn't working because what's going to happen to us, right? And at one point, my job was to lie. That's that's how it, mm. it was literally to lie, but it didn't feel good at all. <laughs> and, you know, it was very hard to speak about this with people around me because they told me I was like Meghan Markle. They said, you are, you have a great life. You make a lot of money. Uh, why do you complain? <laughs> you know, just stop complaining. And yeah, it was true, but it felt, you know, it was soul draining to be working in a, in a project that, you know, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, that it's going to be slowly decommissioned or, you know, it's just not going to go well. And I got this impression that behind every successful AI project, there were like another 20 <laughs> that were like this. Right. And it happened all too often and in the same way. And that's why I decided to write a book about all this, to tell people about the hype around AI and how it's not that smart and it doesn't work that well. And a lot of people are exaggerating about it. And I am not negative or pessimistic when it comes to AI. I'm actually quite optimistic when it comes to technology. So like me. Like you, exactly. Because some people think, oh, you're pessimist. I'm not. I'm actually quite, an, you know, I'm very optimistic. I don't think it's as good as people say. I don't think the power of AI is as good as people say. Do you so think the hallucinations like are as bad? You know, is that something that we can even overcome? Because that, that would be a very, that's a big part of it, right? Yeah. Of, well, that's one of the main points of my book, actually, which is that I don't think hallucinations are going away. And that's because they're a feature of the system. At the moment, machine learning learns from scanning historical data and trying to put together very plausible outputs that look very well. It's optimized to do that. Not to, it's not optimized to tell the truth or to output facts, right? And look, I, I always give an example of, let's suppose you're driving on a motorway and uh, an umbrella, a flying umbrella blocks your way. You know from your experience of living in this world that the umbrella is kind of soft, so you can hit it. But if it's a horse, then you're like, oh, no, I will try to swerve, <laughs> avoid the horse. Right. But it's not because when you were in driving school, they showed you pictures of, of a horse and they told you bad and then an umbrella, good. <laughs> so your knowledge required to drive goes beyond driving school or the things you learn about, about driving itself. Current machine learning learns that way. It sees examples of specific, you know, very narrow um, situations that are related to your task at hand. Um, they don't build this comprehensive model of the world that we need. And ChatGPT may be get, getting closer to that, right? Because it's, it's outputting very, you know, very believable outputs. But I don't think it still builds that model of the world.
right? That's understanding if you want. Yeah. And this is something that also has come up. I remember in the panel that, um, you know, the data sets that it's being fed, um, ultimately there's going to be more and more of that that is going to be generated by AI. So it's not even human generated. And there's a lot of bad content out there that's just generated by AI in order to increase people's SEO, right? I know. Yeah. It's going to eat its own outputs and it's, it's probably going to do that very soon. Uh, a few days ago, it came out that there was one of the top images in this Google search. I think it was uh, someone was searching for an image of of a square in China, and the top image was AI generated, right? Wow. Yeah, and then Google kind of banned the image, or they just removed it because a lot of people were speaking about this, but that's unsustainable, right? They're not going to be able to do that with every single output, right? So one. One thing that I've, I've talked about a little bit uh, in the past or whined about is that I have this concern about even search engines. So um, when we search on something like Google, um, you know, Google has its flaws uh, for sure, right? How they prioritize the search results and they seem to be erasing some, but it's at the same time, I'm able to look at it and see, you know, kind of pick and choose my sources of information. But I think most search engines are going to be powered by AI in the near future. And the way that AI does its searches is some of them do citations. ChatGBT does not do citations, I noticed. But um, even when I ask it, sometimes it makes it up. Yeah. But you, suddenly you have information that you don't know where you're getting from and you're not using your mind to sort of discern yeah. what you should Following so I, th not. I think we should, we should take ChatGPT for what it is. It's a model of language. And it's a model, it's actually quite a simple model. It, it, you know, it's, it's big, but it's simple in what it does, which is predict the next word based on the previous words, right? So that's all it was trained to do. And the hope, and it actually worked quite well, the hope was that by learning how to predict the next word, it would be able to perform lots of tasks. Because if you ask ChatGPT, complete the next sentence, but in French, then it kind of needs to know how to translate in order to be able to do that. So by necessity, there are lots of very sophisticated tasks that it needs to learn in order to complete the next word. But that's still what it does. And it didn't actually work that well because at one point it had to create lots of manual examples to try to correct what it did because it didn't really fulfill all the tasks that well and that was done you know they hired a lot of people um you know in kenya i heard for like two dollars an hour to create manual prompts um mm. but the, the bottom line is that we have the system that tries to model how we put words together to try to guess the next one that's very different from searching the web right it doesn't actually search the web it doesn't do it in, in real time when you prompt ChatGPT. It has this model that was created with data up to a certain date, a snapshot of the whole internet uh, to try to predict the next word, right? Yeah. So it's very different. And I think there's obviously there are lots of applications, but we need to keep in mind what this does so that we don't misuse it. There was this lawyer who created this court filing using ChatGPT and it cited cases that didn't exist. I know of this case, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's trying to do that, right? And I think a lot of times people are, 
either enthusiastic or terrified of AI because I think they just don't understand how it works, what it does, that it is predicting that ninth word. Um, and that is something that I think is the cause for a lot of things. So people either in their minds believe that it is this godlike machine at a certain point, right? And it can be, well, here's a question to you. I mean, do you think AI can at any point be human or mimic a human well enough to be confused for one? Well, I think in some, way, some ways it's already doing that, right? Yeah, a few years ago, I would have told you, probably not, but I think in some ways it's doing, I, I think it can't really fool us completely because it always ends up making some silly mistake or there's a hallucination. But uh, I think it's very, it's getting quite close. And, and there's this whole question of the deep fakes, right? People uh, using AI to pretend they're someone else. Um, and yeah, so I think it's getting very close to that. Yeah, the deep fakes are a major, major concern of mine. It's actually what I'm uh, currently researching. But the deep fakes to me present um, be because they are getting so much better and they're already really quite good. Um, they, they will only become more, you know, now I can look at a piece of art and see the fingers don't, you know, they're too long. And then you can see that it's an AI generated image, but they'll solve that problem, I think. So you know, at a certain point, and especially if there's a bad actor, right, somebody who's really determined to fool the public, they'll they'll invest in this, right? And so I think in particular worries me when it comes to well, political campaigns or spreading particular types mm -hmm. of disinformation, because you already see that. And with social media, it spreads very, very quickly. There's not really a mechanism to correct it. So maybe we'll have some detection when it comes to, you know, if you're trying to use a video in a court case, you know, maybe you do uh, uh, an x-ray of that file, you know, and you figure out if it's real and maybe there'll be tools that are so sophisticated for that use. But for the most part, in terms of just how humans use it as a layperson. I, you know, currently don't have these tools. I know some companies are working on it, but it feels to me like the tools should have existed before they started creating this technology and it should have been built into that technology. Well, some people are saying they should somehow watermark the output so you can tell this was generated by AI. And maybe some companies will do the big ones. Maybe some regulation will ask them to do that. But a lot of this technology is known to the public. We know how it works. So there will be other people who will not want to comply with that that will be able to create this AI. <laughs> so I think we will be, potentially there will be some issues because of this. Yeah. Do you see any, any kind of antidote to that? Is, that? is there anything that we can do or are we basically That's a very good question. I, I think that, I, I don't know, but I think there will be a little bit, a little bit less enthusiasm about AI in a few months. I have that impression that now everyone's talking about it, but I think people will get a little bit tired and as consumers, they will start kind of like, oh, I'm a little bit tired of this. And I've heard this, this with, with ChatGPT already that some people say, I, I'm tired of all these wordy, verbose outputs. I can tell it's written with ChatGPT. You know, <laughs> I, well, my brother the other day, um, you know, is talking to him and about, you know, travel. And, and at a certain point, he said something like, I miss you. And um, 
He said, I miss you. And that was something that my brother never, never would say to me. Right. And I also, also, he accidentally sent me the prompt. So this is actually okay. how I guessed it. But, yeah. but basically, so I had the prompt and, um, and he, he was basically prompting chat GBT to write messages to me saying, um, this is, um, you know, right back to my sister who's currently traveling. She's telling me all these things about the travel. Can you tell uh, right back? And of course it didn't sound like him even remotely. And somebody sent me, um, uh, was it, uh, it was an episode of a TV show, South Park. They did an episode where all the, all the guys were sending their girlfriends uh, <laughs> chat GPT messages because they don't usually like to respond with more than a thumbs up. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, I, and yes, I think yeah. you can detect it, but at the same time, it is. I do think it's getting better. I don't think it's getting to the point where, at least in my view, that it can replace human creativity. But I don't agree necessarily that it, we won't be talking about it, and because I mean, they're about. I think they're going to continue releasing all these different uh, consumer products, in particular, like, um, for example, Siri. I'm pretty sure, and Alexa. They're going to go AI pretty soon. Um, Chat GPT is about, or has just updated, so you can do visual prompts. So I think the more it sort of grows, it's going to stay in that conversation. Yeah, but it's look. I think it's going to replace a lot of the boring work. Hopefully, maybe actually, it will be. It will help us not, you know, do those repetitive tasks that you know that we don't like much. It will free up our creativity to do other things. Um, so I think that may happen. But there's a good point you make about creativity or novelty, if you want, because I think there are certain things that AI will not do anytime soon, and generating completely novel outputs completely novel, let's say content or copywriting or script writing. I don't think it can do that. You know, there's the, the current AI is trying to, if you want, regurgitate existing content, put it together in better ways, but it doesn't really generate truly novel stuff. And sometimes I speak of excellent work as opposed to good enough work. I think there are lots of tasks where we just need good enough mm -hmm. and it may replace. And a lot of people who do that as a job, their job is to do just good enough work. They should worry. And I can give you one example. You know, all these SEO driven articles that you find yeah. online, like 20. I've written some of these. <laughs> you've written some of these. And sometimes yeah. you don't care so much about the quality of the content. You just want lots of keywords so that, you know, the search engine sends a lot of traffic and then you can sell them something. A lot of people hire freelancers on Upwork or Fiverr to do that. And they're very cheap. But the quality of the work, it's not great. It's, it's just an article with lots of keywords. I think those people should worry because now they're going to use AI. And, you know, one of the reasons is that it's so much faster, actually. It's not even about the money. It's like, oh, I just typed it into ChatGPT and it produced a great blog article. You know what? It's not a great blog article. It's a blog article and it serves its purpose. But there's a whole market of excellent work. You know? What that has that humor. Can people tell the difference? Because we've already had this um kind of um situation where a lot 
of content, I, I think the reason we see a lot of clickbait articles, right, is because uh, when journalism sort of went the online route, it was about, you know, that you're it's going to cost you very little time to produce uh, a story that's sort of a, a clickbait story. It's actually going to generate more clicks, but the quality stuff takes longer to make. And have we gotten to this point in our society where we don't appreciate the quality enough to value it? So I think, I think in many cases, we appreciate quality more than, than we give us credit for. And I can give you an example. But uh, to that point, um, well, I think they serve their purpose. Like it or not, the clickbait articles, they want to drive traffic, right? So if they're written by AI or by a person, it doesn't make such a big difference because it actually achieves the purpose. Even, even if we don't like it or we think it's kind of ugly, <laughs> that's what those articles are for. So I, you know, I'm no one to say that's wrong. It's wrong to use AI for that. You know, it's like, you're just trying to, uh, to get clicks. Right. And, and I think that's going to happen a lot, you know, lots of click baby articles written by AI. And you're saying, will people be able to tell the difference? Maybe not, but it doesn't matter in that context. But I think there are other contexts where people are very picky with quality without realizing it. And that's something I've been noticing a lot lately. People say it's going to replace humans and script writing, copywriting. And I think people, they buy content that is really well done without realizing it. And I can give you many examples, but um, well, there's TV shows, right? TV mm -hmm. shows like, you know, we fall in love with a TV show because they found a really good way to hook us into the TV show. AI can't do that. I think in the debate, I gave this example of Homeland, the show Homeland, where they actually, yeah, they, I love that show. And they, they ran spy camp. So they met people who worked for the CIA before to brainstorm topics for the show. Um, and also trying to guess what would be in the news that year so that they released a show that was very relevant, right? So the last season was about this Afghanistan, the, 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 the peace agreement with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And when they released the show, it was right about the time where we saw all that unfortunate situation unfold in Afghanistan. It was, if you want the perfect timing for the show, and they achieved that thanks to all those, you know, brainstorming sessions with CIA people, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to make that show that likable. I was here in London yesterday walking around and I saw a pizza place that said only VIPs, like a big sign. And I was like, what? So then I read and underneath it said very, um, what is like VIP it was an acronym for very impressive prices, right? And oh, thought, okay. This is very creative copywriting because it, it got my attention and it also send the message very clearly. We are a very cheap, you know, we sell very cheap pizza, <laughs> but it's a, a great way of doing that. And current AI cannot really produce new creative hooks or angles or copywriting like that. Uh, it can combine existing things, but it can't, we won't come up with this VIP idea on its own. And a no, lot of I've tried to, that. you know, I've tried to cheat a little bit with it because I'm always looking for shortcuts and, and yeah. listen, sometimes my writer brain is not functioning very well. And I've done copywriting and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but it's very, um, to get it to the point where 
sometimes it will have something that will give me a little bit of a launch pad of an idea, but I've yeah. never been able to produce anything that I could actually use. Now, what it is great at is making the mundane tasks that I don't want to do. Exactly. For example, I had to do citations and I thought, well, give me a second. What if I just, instead of going through that grunt work, I will uh, put that through and I just said, you know, give me Chicago style citations. And it does yeah. that very well. Exactly. And that gives me time. And in that way, I actually think it can enable us to be more creative, uh, do whatever humans can do better than a machine, and yeah. then let the machine do the things that the machine can do better, which yeah. certainly there's a lot of that too. Absolutely. <laughs> or quicker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've used it to, you know, I was programming, I was coding, and I needed a color palette in JavaScript just like a list of colors. Like it was, mm -hmm. it was totally irrelevant. I didn't even need to need it to look good. So I just went to chat GPT <laughs> and asked for that in the format that I needed. And it was much faster than putting it together myself or even searching um, in Google for, for a palette. And um, that's an example of, yeah, it just removed, but it's, it's a tiny bit of my work, the whole work, you know, that you do when you, when you build the software for someone. You know, and that's my point here. I spend most of my time trying to see what the client wants, trying to understand what the client wants, trying to prioritize with the client to say, okay, let's go for the feature that brings us the most value or most immediate value. What would that be? You know, <laughs> so all of that AI can't do, but that's actually a big bulk of work. And I see a lot of people confusing those things. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of kind of, dumbness to AI, for lack of better word, um, because something that you take the most basic human being, not high IQ or anything, right? You take them and they'll be able to discern certain things that AI cannot. So an example of that was, uh, this was recently on the news. Um, it did an article, I think it was top places to visit in Ottawa, and it recommended the food bank. And oh, okay. on top of it, <laughs> to add insult to injury, it said, come hungry. Okay. This is not something that, a, like, you take the stupidest, exactly. most unaware person, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so that you know, just shows us it's not that. Yeah, hallucination. I used to call it, you know, before that word started to mm -hmm. be used, I used to call it epic fails. Because that that's what it was. It, AI keeps making mistakes that humans would never make. As you say, maybe not even the dumbest human would ever make that mistake, right? And, and that's when we see that it's not as smart as we may think, right? It can dupe us for a while, you know? And, and we may believe that it's truly smart until it makes that silly mistake. And I and think people we need project to a lot when, into it. When, yeah, Sorry? and a lot of people project also. We project our own emotions and sometimes people think, well, maybe we should be polite to it as opposed to just bossing it around and and there's yeah. this kind of sense of consciousness and look, I could be proven wrong and you know, a hundred years from now maybe we'll become. Um, but it's right now I don't think we're even close, but we have that human tendency. And then once we marry AI with the body, right? If in some form factor, especially form factor that brings up empathetic feelings in humans, that I think there is a danger in that also, because ultimately it's still a machine. And I think it is important probably to have that detachment of machine, but 
at the same time, there's times where, uh, you know, it could serve us to give it a body, for example, taking care of the elderly. Uh, if we, if in, in societies where that's not really sustainable by humans, um, although that's also a danger, you're replacing a human who is actually particularly valuable to have a contact with, with somebody who might be elderly or ill and replacing it by some entity that doesn't have any empathy or feelings. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a a it's, it's very philosophical, right? You're entering that philosophical territory. Does actually the machine have empathy? I think a lot of people have started to believe that maybe it does. You know, so it depends on whether we think we're machines, right? What makes yeah. us have empathy? Is it a series of calculations that go on that are, you know, yeah. and our hormones may play a role, but also, and then the rest is the machinery. Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's almost like propaganda <laughs> around trying to make us believe that we understand how the brain works, that we understand how the mind works. We don't. We don't have the slightest clue. So there are many things we know, you know, and, and we, 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 a lot of them by correlation. We know that anesthesia, for example, general anesthesia works, but we don't know how. Nobody knows how. Even a model of a neuron, how the neural, neuron performs a calculation, if you want, nobody has been able to create that mathematical model of that equation that works well in practice when you compare it with with real data. There's one organism, the only one so far called a C. elegans. It's a worm, a tiny worm. And it's, its brain has been mapped out. It's the only example we have of a full map of the connections of every neuron uh, of, the, of the nervous system of this, um, this tiny worm. There's about 300 neurons. But then when they try to use that model to predict the behavior of the, of the worm, it didn't work because they don't really, they can't really know what goes on inside each neuron, right? So, and I think a lot of the AI fanatics, they try to make us believe that we're already building artificial brains, right? And that came in the debate. So the, the venture capitalist that was debating um, against me <laughs> in that debate, he said it a few times. It's like AI understands and AI is just like a human brain now or almost as sophisticated as a human brain. But I wonder how does he know? Because we don't really know how brains work. <laughs> um, so we had a little bit of a technical difficulty, so we're back. But I was saying how in the future, you know, there's a part of me thinks maybe we'd be able to upload our brains onto the cloud, and which means we'll live forever. And maybe that's not possible. But we also don't understand how the brain works, as, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. I think we have very little understanding. Um, and can yeah. we do this without understanding? I don't know. Well, that's a very good question. And I think, and I speak, uh, speak about that in my book, actually, um, at least a little oh. bit. This, I'm going to show it to you, though, since we're here. Smart until it's dumb. It's a great title. <laughs> so there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a whole uh, chapter where I speak about those things, um, especially that we don't know a lot of stuff, but we also need to, you know, ask certain, certain questions. And, you know, there's, um, there's a computer scientist called uh, Scott Aronson who likes to speak about this stuff because he says that, a lot of people, they dismiss the idea that maybe there's anything special with our brains or even with organic matter. They say, why would it matter that it's, you know, organic matter as opposed to silicon uh, microchips in our brains, you know, so that's silly. 
But what Aronson says is that if you accept that point of view, you also need to be willing to answer all the sci-fi questions that come with it, all the baggage that comes with that. Because if our thoughts are just computations in our brains that can be performed in any kind of you know substrate, then we would be able to, even if it happens in hundreds of years, but in principle, we should be able to upload our, you know, the content, if you want, of our brains and perform those calculations in a different uh, type of material. So yes, you could, for example, travel to Mars really quickly. You just upload that content of your brain and then you just send the signal to Mars and someone reconstructs that. But what do we do with a copy that stayed on Earth? Can we just get rid of it? Right? So those are some of the questions that what Aronson says is they should be willing to at least try to answer those, those questions. Right? So you can't you can have it both ways. You can say, yes, our brains are just computers, so we will be able to copy them. OK, but what happens if we make five copies? They, will they all be conscious? I mean, according to that view, then, yeah, they will be conscious because Consciousness is just computation, but then can we get rid of a copy because we made another one? We're going to be killing if you want a conscious being. Um, so there's a lot of baggage that comes uh, with that. And I think it's fascinating. <laughs> and there's even a TV show about that. I mean, there's two. There's one called Upload, which is about uploading your brain. Okay. But in that case, you, it's the afterlife, essentially. Okay. But, you know, depending on how wealthy you are, you have a better afterlife than, you know, okay. then it's a dial-up modem if you're not very wealthy. Um, and then there is a show, there was a show with Paul Rudd that was specifically about cloning. Because okay. uh, accidentally, because they were, they would kill <laughs> the original, but in yeah. his case, that didn't quite work out. So dealing with that, and who is that person? Is it the same? Um, that was really great philosophical show, actually. Uh, yeah. But I haven't even thought about it in this context, which is, is fascinating. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of times we're thinking yeah. about these moral questions, you know, way too late where where we've we like I said, we build the technology and then we think, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that or maybe we shouldn't have done it that way. And it's hard because people are going to build it regardless. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't care about ethics. Right. So to say, well, we're going to not build anything here, for example, in North America or Europe. And that's one thing. Yeah. But. I don't think you can quite stop that, but I don't know what yeah. you can do. Yeah, that's why I was quite, you know, unsure when there was this open letter that they signed about, I don't know, six months ago from, you know, yes. a lot of people saying they should stop development. Because I was like, what's that going to do? I think on, on, on the one hand, it was giving the current wave of AI enthusiasm a little bit too much credit. It kind of fed into that exaggeration of the capabilities of AI, which is what I'm trying to fight. You know, it's not that smart. You know, it's not going to wipe us out of the earth. Um, but at the same time, it's okay. Somebody else will do it. You know, and the, the techniques, they've been discovered. They've been published. You, we don't know all the details of how ChatGPT works because there are some trade secrets, but the main methodology wasn't even invented by OpenAI. It was invented by people at Google who published a paper and explained the whole thing. <laughs> so somebody else is, will pick it up and continue. So, yeah. 
Well, we had a lot of, uh, by the way, a lot of glitches during this um, interview, and I'm thinking it must be because the AI supreme beings, you know, the ones that are going to take over the world, they're uh, <laughs> they're getting a little handsy. But perhaps, uh, perhaps it's just technical uh, glitches. Okay. But I'd love to ask you uh, before we sort of part. Um, you know, what are you most excited about in terms of seeing um, come together in the world of AI and what scares you the most or what are you most concerned about? So what I'm very hopeful uh, and I hope even if it's not exactly AI, but I've been speaking a lot with people who work in really, if you want, old industries like aviation, uh, stuff that has been done in a certain way for many, many years. And there is so much to be done. They still use paper for a lot of things and they lose the papers. There was, uh, I just found out that lots of airports here in the UK, they were just using, you know, a paper ledger to register what happened with fire um, trucks in the airport. So whenever a fire truck leaves the, the building, they would just write it down and it was a big mess. And then there's a company using technology to make that more efficient. Right. And I'm hoping that we will be able to improve a lot of the things that are still done in a really, really old fashioned way. Thanks to AI or just, you know, automation technology. But I think there's a lot to be done, you know, a lot, a lot to be done. Uh, and I'm hoping we'll, you know, I was speaking the other day uh, in Budapest, actually, with with this lady who was telling me, I can't believe that we still have these these lines at the airport. How is it possible with all the AI advancements how can a person be looking at watching the screen and we have all these cues um, there must be something that can that can be done to make it more efficient and i think and i'm very hopeful that we will be able to improve our lives a lot thanks to technology so that that's the hope yeah i have so too and then yeah. in terms of fears <laughs> yeah look, my, um, my biggest fear my biggest fear is that people will think that AI works better than it actually does, or it's smarter than it does, and they deploy it in unsafe applications, right? So critical, like, or safety critical applications, like flying a plane, right? Or having a car drive itself in the middle of a busy uh, city, let's say. Um, I think that's one of my biggest fears, because I feel like a lot of people are overestimating it. Hallucinations are not just a bug that's going to go away that needs to be fixed it's something that's part of ai because it's not really really smart it's a very good imitator but once in a while it blunders <laughs> and it's it's continue it will continue to happen and that's kind of i find it a bit scary I, I spoke with this guy who works in aviation safety and he's been concerned lately of how much people want to somehow use this new ai within planes but there's even pressure, he told me, that he felt he felt people from aviation didn't want to be behind in this race. So they wanted to use generative AI somehow. And I'm like, that's probably not going to be safe, right? So you need to be sure that you understand the limitations before, you know, flying a plane with AI. <laughs> I guess so my like counter to that would be, okay... But people also are valuable. So, for example, with self-driving uh, cars, you know, people 
uh, you know, is, is the outcome from that, even though that machine may make a really terrible mistake, but people get behind the wheel drunk, they just react in anger, there's all sorts of human failabilities. And does is is on the net balance which one is better? Yeah, that well that that's been the selling point for a long time for self-driving cars. It's humans make mistakes too. But I think there's a couple of problems with that line of thinking. One of them is that they people tend to just count the mistakes. But we also need to qualify the mistakes. Because if a car makes sometimes really weird mistakes, mistakes that humans wouldn't probably make. You know, even if they don't make them as often, it's not quite the same thing. It's like the, the surgeon. Would you trust an AI surgeon with a certain success rate? Well, but it depends. Does it sometimes botch a surgery that was super easy, you know, that a human doctor wouldn't have, you know, botched? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I think we need to qualify the errors. Um, we need to be careful how we measure the errors, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, manipulation, I, I think, in those numbers. I've spoken a bit about that in my book. You know, uh, a lot of researchers love to say this works as good as humans or this is humans, the, the error rate of humans. But they measure it in a little bit of a questionable way. And the other thing is, like, it, it just hasn't happened so far. So, for example, self-driving cars are really behind. You know, they, they, the whole industry is failing. So they haven't managed to attain the rates they wanted which is something I predicted for a long time. I've been saying we really can build self-driving cars within the technology we have now, within the methodology that we know. Um, so it hasn't happened. And um, if all the cars on the road were self-driving cars, it's a different situation, right? The problem is mixing yeah. them, right, with, with humans. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, yeah, humans are valuable, but there's also a question of liability. Who's to blame, right, when something goes wrong? So. It's not just about counting the errors. That's my my point. Uh, that's a little that's bit a good weird. that's a good point. I think. And is there is there something that you wish was invented that hasn't been invented yet? Ooh, that's a very good question. Something I wish was invented. Uh, I don't know. It's a very open ended question, but I think there are lots of very inefficient things that could be made better. <laughs> like I said before, you know, you go to the airport and there's queues and people using paper everywhere um, and people collating Excel spreadsheets by hand and, and just manually copy paste. And that happens a lot. You can't imagine how much even huge companies are still, you know, they have a person that's very busy working late because they have to, you know, take all these Excel spreadsheets and put it, put them together into another sp spreadsheet. Sure. So I think it would be good to, you know, invent more things that can alleviate um, that stuff. Uh, it would be amazing if we could tell when something's produced by AI. Um, some people have worked on that, you know, and they're working on it, but I don't know if it's going to work very well in the future <laughs> um, or how well it will adapt to new AI or new, AI models, as we call them, because, you know, maybe it works well for certain model, but then it just doesn't. So that would be good. It would be good to be able to tell, you know, to invent something that will help us tell when something's made by AI. Absolutely. <laughs> be well, I hope we get a chance to, you know, improve on the things that make us, allow us to be human and the things that we don't need. Those are the things that can go to the machine. So 
hopefully we find a, a good balance. And I think that's the key. Same with the excitement for AI or dread of AI. I think it's all about balance because it can be both. Uh, well, I really enjoyed having you on and I appreciate your patience. And thank you so much oh. for being part of this. No, thank you for having me.